Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to talk about creepy origins behind a lot of children's stories, things that we tell our kids that started out in a really horrific, weird, creepy way, or just a really different way. Some are pretty bad. Some are pretty bad. Some are just like different (laughs) cultures. It evolved to a very specific thing now, but it started as something very different for different reasons. Yeah, very innocent now, but it did not start that way. Never. So one of the first ones, though, that we are going to talk about is all the real facts about the tooth fairy. So if you have a little one that you want to keep the magic alive, maybe pause this and come back to it when your little one's not around you. Yes, yes. But let's talk about first the origin of the tooth fairy. Because my kid just lost a tooth not too long ago. And it got me thinking like, where did the tooth fairy start out? Why do we have the tooth fairy? And it seems like there's many different reasons why we have the tooth fairy nowadays. So we're going to go back. Anthropologists and folklorists refer to the traditions that go along with losing a baby tooth as shed tooth rituals. I don't like it already. It sounds creepy, doesn't it? It just sounds weird. It's the idea of like shedding teeth. Just it doesn't sound like you lost the tooth. Shedding is what we say for hair in like our dialect of English. That's true. So that just makes me feel like teeth whim whimsy falling out, not just like, oh, a tooth fell out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just it's kind of weird. There are so many old rituals. So we picked a few to talk about. And Tibetan rituals demanded that someone crush the baby tooth between stones into a dust. And then the dust was tossed into the wind. So does that mean that there were people just downwind, like breathing in baby teeth? Oh, absolutely. Do you think they like they had baby teeth dust in their like lungs and stuff like that can't be good for you. I mean, I guess it's calcium, but like just into the wind, I guess. Like luckily it doesn't happen all the time, right? Like I have a six-year-old and he has lost two teeth, which we still have never seen, by the way. Every time he loses a tooth, he's like, I think I ate it. That's very casual, by the way. (laughs) You know what? I think he's just following some of these rituals. We'll get to it in a minute. Yeah. So some cultures incorporated the teeth into parts of their clothing. Ew, right? Like (laughs) baby teeth, like necklace. So as soon as I read that, you know what I did. I immediately Googled baby teeth clothing. And much to my dismay, it was mostly like baby onesies about getting teeth or like little kid shirts about like, I lost my first tooth. It wasn't clothing made of teeth, but there is a brand called Milk Teeth. Mm. And it's like baby clothes. But I was like, no, this isn't what we're looking for. So then I changed it to, in quotes, clothing made with baby teeth. (laughs) Okay, okay. And there were no results. Good, good. Well, this is a very old ritual, luckily. Like zero results. It was like, do you want to try it with no quotes? And I was like, no, I said what I said. And then I took out baby. So then it was just clothing made with teeth. And then a lot of stuff came up, more stuff than I thought would come up. Because now there's like a lot of people make resin teeth to make jewelry and things with so that it's not actual teeth teeth. Yeah. But another thing that came up, have you heard what they're doing with squid teeth? I didn't know squid had teeth, so no. 
So I found an article that talked about like the magic fabric that is like made from or treated with squid teeth. And I know this is a bit of a tangent, but like follow me here because this clothing can repair itself. Oh. It also has enzymes on it that can break down toxic materials. So it would be great for hazmat suits. But when like the fabric rips, you can get it wet and then push it against itself and it'll self-heal. Does that mean your fabric's alive? No, it's not alive. It just has living components. Interesting. Like it has like, I mean, enzymes are a part of like a living thing. So maybe. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. But like they have examples where they spray clothing with like this fabric and you can watch people like seal them back together. And it's really neat in terms of where I thought I would start with baby teeth clothing and where I ended up with like squid teeth clothing (laughs) was very quick, but very interesting. Very different. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think what people did was like make it into necklaces and stuff, too. So perhaps like that's what they meant by the cultures putting it into clothing. But like there's more. There's more weird stuff. So some bury them in holes or they put them into walls, like walls of their home. It's wild to me. It's all wild to me. There's a lot. Yeah. I I didn't expect to find this much about baby teeth. So some cultures threw them onto or over the roof of their home. And I was trying to find reasons like, why would one do this? And some cultures thought that if it landed a certain way, it would determine how the new tooth would grow in. So if it landed up and down, then they were going to have like nice straight teeth. If it landed sideways, then that probably meant that their tooth was going to come in wrong or be pushing one of the other teeth. It's a lot of pressure for a throw. Yeah. Another one was they wanted the birds to pick them up and carry them away. So that's why they throw them high up. We're going to talk about why they'd want to hide them. But there was reasons that they did not want people to find the teeth. I guess for me, it's specifically birds. I think because they'd take them far, like, or they'd take them high up and it would be like hard to find them or they'd put them in their like nests maybe or certain birds collect treasures. But they collect shiny treasures, not tooth treasures. Maybe it was super shiny. So legend says that Europeans in the Middle Ages believed that witches could curse someone using their teeth or any discarded body part like their fingernails or their hair. So baby teeth would be disposed of in certain ways to prevent this. Teeth were swallowed, buried, burned, and sometimes people would leave them for rodents to eat. So, of course, I had more questions. And (laughs) if we're swallowing the tooth, aren't we just like postponing this issue? Right. Like, isn't it going to come out? And so into Google, I went searching what like what would happen. And apparently because teeth are mostly made of calcium, they just dissolve in your stomach acid. So like they might still be there, but it would be just like a fragment. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. And I was like, hmm. I mean, like, it makes sense. But I was like, we're just going to poop these teeth out. Why are we, like, stressing about it? Like, why are we, like, swallowing it if it's going to just come out? It doesn't. And some even thought that since rodents were valued for their strong teeth, because they have incisors that never stop growing and are super strong, that if a rodent ate a tooth, it would lead to the development of a healthy and strong adult tooth. And just like also as a side note, when we're talking about rodents, but specifically rats, their teeth are so strong that if they don't grind their teeth together because their incisors never stop growing, they will literally grow up into their brain. So they have to grind their teeth together. That's interesting. You're welcome. I mean, we've had rodents before as pets. And yeah, I know that we always had to give them something to take their teeth down a bit. And then also I have a tortoise and her beak will continue to grow as well to where she wouldn't be able to eat anymore. So I have to make sure that she has rough edges to like 
kind of drag her mouth on occasionally, like rocks and bricks and things like that. Otherwise, her beak can get too long and you actually have to like trim it. But I am very bad at trimming it. So I'm terrified of doing it. That's really interesting when you think about the different types of things that are like very commonplace with a type of creature, but could like kill them. Right. Because obviously like your teeth don't stop growing. Your mouth grows shut kind of right. Just bizarre. Yeah. And then something else that we also saw was that sometimes people would destroy their teeth because they believed that if they didn't, they would spend their afterlife looking for them. And that sounds like the worst type of afterlife is you're just looking for your teeth. Yeah. It seemed like it was like one of those things like where your body has to be whole. So anything you've lost, but it's like you're going to shed hair all the time. Yeah. So I just don't understand. Like you're going to sneeze. Yeah, why like the teeth were so important. But yeah, that was one of their thoughts. Yeah, I I just find that also interesting. And like, especially when people are talking about like looking for something in the afterlife. To me, that always sounds a little bit like we're going to scare you into doing something because you don't really know. It's just kind of a guess. So not only did some people in the Middle Ages think that witches could curse them using the teeth, but they also thought that witches or evil spirits would be able to actually control their bodies if that witch or evil spirit had their teeth, which like, that's wild, right? I'm picturing like a teeth puppet in my head where like, it's one of those little like clacking teeth toys, but a marionette thing. I don't know. Bizarre. But I just think it's interesting when we look at like things like this, because clearly there was a reason that people thought these things, you know? Right. So I was trying to find like where like a fairy teeth and like money all kind of combined. And it didn't seem like it came about until fairly recently, but there was a British custom that involved something called a fairy coin. So it was coins, not teeth. And fairy coins would be given out to servant girls while they slept. Okay. Interesting, I guess, right? Yeah. So here's where it gets a little, I mean, I guess the other part was weird. This is a little dark, though. So in an Irish folklore tradition, one of them included fairy changelings. And this doesn't necessarily have to do with the tooth fairy, but it did involve sometimes teeth and children and a fairy. So there's a few different versions I was able to track down. But in one version, the fairy would kidnap the child and leave like a mischievous fairy in its place. But it was like a changeling, so it could look like the kid. And one story was like the mom had to like run to the neighbor's house for a moment and the baby was sleeping in its bassinet or crib or whatever. And the father was outside working like the farm. And so she's gone for a little bit and then she saw like evidence of fairies on her way back. So she ran in, but her baby was still asleep. So she was like, okay, everything's fine. But then it started doing weird things, like not like a baby would. And then she finally figured out, oh, it's the fairy. So there's some weird stories around this. I don't think you've watched Outlander, have you? Mm -mm. So I think it's interesting that at different points in time, people have used what we talk about as folklore as a way to just to basically to explain the unexplainable, right? Like when your baby dies, right? Because a lot of times changeling stories are that your healthy baby is replaced with a sickly baby. Yeah. And that's the switch. And so to me, I'm like, oh, your baby was just like going through something different, right? Like, and this is how you conceptualized it. I just always think that's, you know, again, like we're talking about like people believe things for a reason. Yeah. And some of the stories I saw, there were ways to like get your kid back if you could figure out that it was a fairy. And then some are like, nope, not all kids come back or you can't get your kid back. It was very strange. But I did see that possibly placing their tooth near a sleeping child could serve to fool a malevolent spirit or fairy. 
Also, I saw that sometimes they would bury the teeth to deter the fairies from kidnapping the kids. I'm not sure why, like, if it was buried, they wouldn't want the kid. But there's a lot of different stories around this. In a Venetian story of the Italian Bafana, which we've talked about, and as a reminder, La Bafana was an Italian folklore where Bafana was a witch who would bring good children treats on the morning of Epiphany. And we talked about that in one of our holiday episodes. But this one acts like Santa Claus in a way and would give presents and coins to children that had lost teeth. So we're getting a little more like tooth fairy like, right? Yeah. So the idea of like a tooth fairy became more fairy tale like in France in the 18th century because they had a bedtime story called The Good Little Mouse. And it's about a fairy that changes into a mouse to help the good queen defeat the evil king. And I've seen a couple variations of the story. In some of them, at one point, the mouse like trips the king and knocks out some of his teeth. I've seen some variations where the mouse hides under a pillow and steals the king's teeth or just like drives him crazy. But there's a few different versions that I've seen. Ultimately, the mouse fairy helps save the queen and her daughter. So as I was reading about this, I had a lot of questions. <laughs> yes. And I think that I now I'm a, a mouse teeth strength scientist. Okay. I think that's what I'm dubbing myself because I was like, how strong is this mouse? How weak are this king's teeth? And I was like, I must know if this is physically possible. So let me look at my, I'm pulling out my like actual paper notes because I was doing math. <laughs> Okay, so I had question. My other question was, did this mouse have steel-toed boots? I did not work that into my equation. But so mouse kick in math. On average, a mouse can lift 70 grams, which is just about 2.8 ounces, which is like a touch more than a sixth of a pound. So we're going to round it to three ounces. And in case you're wondering, three ounces, what are some common things that are three ounces? I'll tell you. Three envelopes, 30 pennies, 54 large paper clips. Or a deck of cards. <laughs> so that's the strength of a mouse. Those would have to be pretty weak teeth, I feel like. I did look to see how much pressure or like weight is needed to knock someone's teeth out. But it varies based on the person's teeth and their dental health, which makes sense, right? Well, think about that. Back then, let's be honest, like people did not have good teeth. Yeah, but I still think that they could like a deck of cards laying on their teeth isn't going to knock them out. At that point, if you were chewing, it would knock them out. I'm just saying that I think that the average king's teeth are stronger than 30 pennies. But that was my science. That was my mouse math kicking science because I felt like it was very important for me to know. Is that possible? Do you like that I was wasn't worried about someone turning into a mouse. I was like, mice get kick people's teeth out. <laughs> right. Well, also remember, it's a magic mouse because it's a fairy mouse. Still a mouse in my brain. <laughs> I took a pause and I thought about it and I said, no, still a mouse. The story sounds a little gruesome, but like the thought of like a little cute mouse ripping teeth out. Yeah, super fun. <laughs> Kicking them out like a roundhouse kick. Way better. <laughs> that's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. <laughs> it's like, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Chuck Norris. Oh, but a mouse. Little ginger mouse. But a mouse version. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's our tooth fairy. Mm -hmm. So in the 1920s, the story was re-released, but the mouse that turned into a fairy was just a fairy. Okay. And what I saw, though, while I was researching is in many countries, though, children continue to leave their teeth out for a mouse that takes them away in exchange for gifts or money, not the fairy. I like that way better. It sounds so cute. And you know what that also makes me think of? Cinderella. It does. Yeah. Right? Like, because the mice are doing things like, what, they're like seamstresses in that, right? Mm -hmm. 
If there can be like a, an aggressive Chuck Norris mouse fairy, why can't there be a seamstress mouse fairy? Exactly. Exactly. So then there is a late 19th century tradition in France that has the Virgin Mary exchange a coin or present for teeth left under the pillow. I was like, they had to bring religion into this somewhere, right? But why does she have to be a virgin, like a virgin tooth collector? It's bizarre. I don't know. I don't know. For some reason, they're like, oh, religion should really come into this too. Oh, you know what it probably is? Generally, we we know that there's a history of Christianity trying to weed out like pagan and different occult types of rituals. And if they didn't have something to replace it with, then people would stick with the old one. So then that actually makes a lot of sense why it would be Virgin Mary. Yeah. And I couldn't find too much on that one. I saw it in one of the origin stories of the Tooth Fairy and I just thought it was interesting, but I couldn't find a lot of details as to like how that happened or like how long that went on for. But I thought it was notable because it's kind of weird. Yeah. So the idea of exchanging teeth for coins originated in Scandinavia. And the reason for that is Vikings would pay children for their teeth because they use them as good luck charms in battle. Just imagine a big Viking with like a necklace of baby teeth. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to process that. Like my head can't do it. It's very strange. I don't know. Now I'm thinking of like Viking braids and then like in the Viking braids. <laughs> Gorgeous. So let's talk about the American Tooth Fairy, who began to appear in the early 1900s, and it combines a lot of the older traditions, but it, it, it mixes in some new things. So this is one that does not directly come from religious roots, or it doesn't even have like a single origin. It is kind of a mixed bag. So some say that the Tooth Fairy may have been created to comfort kids from when they experience the pain of losing a tooth, which, okay, like that sounds, that sounds good, right? Right. It's a little less scary because like every kid's like, what do you mean my teeth are going to fall out? Yeah. So I kind of get that, like, to make it more fun. Like, oh, yeah, but something cool is going to happen when it happens. Yeah. Magic. A magic thief will come in. <laughs> Take it. What do they do with it? Who knows? That's above my pay grade. So a 1908 newspaper in the Chicago Tribune by Lillian Brown explains the ritual of putting a tooth under a pillow for the fairy to come at night and take it away. In 1927, a three-act play called The Tooth Fairy was written by Esther Watkins Arnold and published. Then in 1940, The Blue Fairy from Pinocchio is introduced. And in 1949, Collier's Magazine mentioned The Tooth Fairy. Then in the 1950s, The Fairy Godmother becomes popular because of things like Cinderella and Tinkerbell from Peter Pan. And then this is also a time when families became a little bit more child-centric in their view of the home. Yeah, so creating more magic. And also even creating a childhood, that is a largely new-ish thing. If you're thinking of the Industrial Revolution, lots of children worked in factories at that point. So the idea of children who are children is kind of new, at least in America. Yeah. When you're thinking of the Industrial Revolution, there were lots of children working in factories. And so the 1976 book, The Tooth Fairy Legend, came out. And in that, a mouse comes for the teeth. And then the actual Tooth Fairy doesn't like that a vermin is taking teeth. And so she's like, I've got this. I'm going to take this over because I don't like that, like, mice for coming for teeth. <laughs> So then the first Tooth Fairy reference citation was in the World Book Encyclopedia of 1979. In Flights of Fancy, Leaps of Faith by Cindy Del Clark, she argues that the Tooth Fairy's use of monetary rewards for each tooth, not just the one, is an American invention. And part of the reason for this is to help children <laughs> transition to the world of adults where cash is a symbol of increased agency and responsibility. And I find it so, like, uniquely American- Mm -hmm. To act like, oh, it's so surprising that we would indoctrinate children. Like, have you heard the Pledge of Allegiance? 
Like, think about what that actually is. It's if you watch any other country do that, you would you would like bristle a little bit that you're having children like recite this oath at the beginning of their day every day. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, not surprisingly that we would have some mechanism to indoctrinate little kids with capitalism because capitalism is so inherently American that America is capitalism and capitalism is American in my brain. Yeah. But I also think that that's a really interesting perspective when you think about it in the realm of the tooth fairy became more popular as childhood became more popular. So that idea of like having to actually introduce kids to capitalism and like the value of a dollar, it actually was a thing that did need to take place. Because whereas when kids were actually like out earning money, they did they were like, yeah, I know I get paid like three cents an hour. I know the value of a penny. Right. Versus, you know, when kids are being kids, thankfully. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I never really thought about it that way. Right. Like I've told my kid about the tooth fairy and I never really thought like he's selling pieces of him for money. Yeah. It's so awful. Who wants a piece of my bone? Yeah, right? Like, I've never really, until I researched for this episode, I was just like, oh, this is cute and innocent. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, here's America, bud. Everything is worth money, including your teeth. Look, people will pay top dollar for your teeth. Honestly, I bet there is a, like, there is a market for baby teeth. Probably. Like, somebody out there would love to buy baby teeth. Like, authentic, <laughs> real baby teeth. Probably. Gross. Weird. I know. I know. I'm sorry. So Arnold Van Gennep's Rites of Passage describes the ritual as three different things for like losing a tooth. And the first part is separation. And that's when the tooth falls out and the child leaves it under the pillow. The second part is transition, which is the gap in their teeth and then the child going to sleep. And then the third part is incorporation. And that's the new tooth growing in and then waking up to a gift or money. Has that person ever met teeth? Yeah. I don't know. It just sounds really weird. I don't like taking like the child's magic of something and then just, I guess like we're really looking at it under a microscope here, right? And like dissecting it. And now it just feels icky. I mean, I don't think it feels icky. I think that there are things that you teach children by saying this is the hard truth of the world. And there's things that you can teach children with magic, right? And if you can teach them with magic, why not? Why not like instill like a lovely sense of wonder? Oh, yeah. In the meantime, even if it's like everything has a price. (laughs) (laughs) Even you, little Billy. Like, I know. I mean, I just if you can teach a lesson with magic, why not? Yeah. Yeah. And so my son so believes in the tooth fairy, too, like so much. And like I said, he swallowed both teeth. Like they are gone. He didn't even notice. He just came home, the first one from school. And he's like, oh, my tooth's gone. And then the second one, he came home really excited. He's like, my tooth's gone. I think I ate it again. So did you tell him no teeth, no money? No, he wrote the tooth fairy a letter. Okay. And the first time, the first one was very like basic. And he's like, I think I swallowed it. And we helped him write it because he couldn't write yet. Mm-hmm. The second one, I didn't expect him to write this letter. and He wrote it by himself. Oh, my God. And the second one, I went in his room at night and I didn't realize, like, he said he was going to write a note, but I didn't have a chance to read it. And the, the note that he wrote all by himself said, hey, Tooth Fairy. And Tooth Fairy is spelled wildly. I ate it. Can you get it out? <laughs> Love, Oliver. <laughs> Did the Tooth Fairy respond? Like, what'd she say? Oh, that she was able to use her magic to just get it out with her wand. And it looked great. Fantastic. Taken care of great. It was hilarious. But today, the Tooth Fairy is present in many different movies, including horror movies I saw. I've never seen a Tooth Fairy horror movie, but they exist. Uh, They're in books, obviously, uh, TV shows, 
all over the place. And while I was researching and I'm like, oh, yeah, I have seen that movie. The one that came up that's like one of my top 10 movies just in general. I love it so much is Rise of the Guardians. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm -mm, I have not. It is the cutest movie ever made. I actually, during the research, when I was like, okay, I need to take a break, I made my son go and watch it with me again for like the 900th time. Because <laughs> it's so cute. But the Tooth Fairy's there and she's like a like a hummingbird person. She's like zippy and like has kind of feathers and she's green and like really cute. Okay. And she has helpers that retrieve the teeth. And she even makes a comment like, oh, I've been out of the business for, I think it was like 250 years or something. But she has the little helpers and they're little hummingbird looking people that retrieve the teeth for her. It's a pyramid scheme. Kind of. In one part of the movie, there's even a mouse that is collecting a tooth. And she's like, oh, no, they're from our European division. <laughs> like, because they're like, what's happening? Yeah. So I thought that was cute because it was a cute nod at like, the other cultures and what they do. And she works with other child guardians. I'm like totally selling everyone on this movie. I need to know if anyone's seen it because I think it had an unfortunate name and everyone thought it was the owl movie and it's not the owl movie. But she works with other child guardians and there's North, which is Santa Claus, but they call him North. And he's like this tatted up Santa Claus. Love it. Daddy Santa. And Yetis. He has Yetis. <laughs> That actually make the toys. And he's like, everyone thinks the elves do it, but the yetis do it. You heard me say Daddy Santa, right? I did. I, I just, just ignored me. I'm really into this movie. But yeah, if that, if that gets you to watch it, then yes. And the Easter Bunny's there. And the voice is Hugh Jackman. And there's also Jack Frost and Sandman. And the cute thing about the Tooth Fairy is she keeps the kids' teeth safe in her kingdom. Because the teeth hold a child's significant memory. So like big significant memories of childhood are held in the teeth. So she keeps them safe. And she's like the guardian of kids' memories. It's cute. Okay, you need to watch it. It's cute. I'm giving Amanda like such a look right now. It's mainly because I don't like the idea that memories are stored in my teeth. I actually, I thoroughly dislike it. It does remind me of, oh my gosh, what's the movie? Is it Inside Out? The emotion movie with the memory marbles? Yeah. Also, this Santa is pretty handsome. <laughs> you like his tattoos? Naughty and nice. Okay, I have several comments. First off, the tooth fairy looks like if a dragon and a fairy had a baby to me. Yeah, a little bit. Not in a bad way. Just kind of like she's scaly. I think she's cute. Yeah, she's cute. She's scaly. The Easter Bunny looks like a kangaroo. They make that joke a lot during the movie, too. Yeah, because he's like, he's also holding a boomerang. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's there. He has Hugh Jackman's accent. Okay, that makes sense. And, you know, the Sandman has a face that I kind of want to punch. He's so cute. I don't know why. No, he's cute, but I kind of want to punch him and I can't place why. <laughs> I just feel pretty strongly about it. I don't know. If you've seen this movie, I need you to comment that you've seen it because I feel like I'm the only one that's ever seen this movie and it's adorable. It's on Netflix. You have to watch it. Look, we're going to be on vacation together and it's supposed to rain the entire time. Maybe we'll watch it together. <laughs> you know what? I would gladly watch this on vacation. I love this movie so much and I need everyone to watch it. So maybe they'll come back and make another one because it's adorable. Yeah, I looked at like, are they going to make a second one? They were like, it failed horribly. It did. And it's so good. Well, OK, OK. Everyone thought it was the stupid owl movie. <laughs> Amanda has big feelings. We've talked about this movie for like 20 minutes. You're welcome. But anyways, so 
I guess we'll come back to the Tooth Fairy and talk about money, because why not? And I guess the Tooth Fairy also suffers with inflation. So between 1900 and 1975, the average tooth rate was 12 to 85 cents. And last year, the average amount kids got was $3.70 per tooth. When you were little, did you do the Tooth Fairy? Yeah. All right. How much did you get? Um, Typically ones every once in a while of five. Oh, fancy. Mainly because my parents were looking at money in the dark. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Have you seen the TikTok where the dude leaves $100 accidentally and the kid's screaming like, oh my gosh, the tooth fairy gave me 100 And he's like frantically checking his wallet. <laughs> no, but I like that. How much did you get? <laughs> I think we would get a dollar and sometimes we'd get a $2 bill. Oh, that's fancy. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't really remember that much. So I'm like, maybe, I don't know. I think it was one to five though. Okay. You're you're in the average amount for this time. Yeah, I'm in the average amount. <laughs> Does that mean that kids now are getting like 20 bucks? What's the going rate for a tooth? Yes. My kid came home from kindergarten and was like, so-and-so got 20 bucks for his tooth. And I'm like, that that kid's a liar. Also, <laughs> we didn't. give me his mom's number. I'm going to call her rate <laughs> fucking now. What does your kid need $20 from the tooth fairy from? Why are you, why are you doing me like that? You know he's going to lose all of them, right? Like, did anyone tell her that? How many teeth are there in the kid's mouth? How many <laughs> teeth do kids have? <laughs> oh, my God. That's so expensive. Kids have 20 teeth. You're going to pay $400 for just a normal biological process? Oh, my God. Claudette, get a hold of yourself. Just give them normal money like a normal parent. You don't have to make it from the tooth fairy and ruin every other everyone else's life. Did you call her Claudette? Yeah, I did. I don't know why. I just felt right. (laughs) Get it together, Claudette. Okay, so let's talk about some more interesting tooth fairy facts. So there was a tooth fairy museum in Illinois, and it was run by Rosemary Wells, a professor at Northwestern University Dental School. And she opened the museum out of her home, you know, like normal people do. And she became the world's expert on the tooth fairy. But she had to clarify that she wasn't the tooth fairy. She was a tooth fairy consultant. And she even had it on her business card, which is pretty cute. It did close in 2000. There's also a National Tooth Fairy Day. And it's a little unclear whether it's February 28th or August 22nd. And the fact that there's two feels like dental propaganda. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's from dentists. They're like, we want you in here twice a year. So we're going to have two Tooth Fairy Days. Oh, that might Mm -hmm. be it. Yeah. Sneaky. Yeah. Sneaky. <laughs> Dentist propaganda. Dentist propaganda. Oh my gosh, it's it's six month intervals too. I didn't even think about that. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's like almost to the day, six months. They're like, Are you getting your cleaning? I'm like, Yes. I had my cleaning scheduled for March, and then my dentist was out for the week, so they had to reschedule it for July. <laughs> She's busy. Anywho, some people are still wary of offering their kids, you know, bone or DNA to an unknown creature, which I know feels pretty legit. And here's something that I find so intensely creepy. Some parents have reported that before that they could get their child's tooth, it would go missing. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And I didn't see anywhere that like money was left there. But just that, like, something took it first. Or, you know, maybe it fell behind their bed. Maybe they (laughs) knocked it in their sheets. Anything. But the idea that, like, something else could be taking teeth. Like, interesting. I'd be interested to hear if anybody had their child's tooth go missing before they could retrieve it. Or if their parents recalled that happening to them when they were children. 
Yeah. And one thing, we were going to talk about the Fae, mm-hmm. but we felt like they probably deserve their own episode. Yeah. But some people think that when you're offering it to a tooth fairy, that you may be offering it to the Fae, and the Fae could be good or bad. So you don't really know who you're giving it to. Yeah. So, Amanda, what do you think about the Tooth Fairy? Like, are they good? Are they bad? Do you think our ways, America's way is a little fucking weird? Yeah. Like I said, I feel like after telling kids like to offer their body parts for money, it's a little creepy and weird. I know like we say it in our house, like if you keep your teeth really clean and good, though, like maybe you'll get a little bit more for that tooth and it helps him brush. Also, you're you're doing quality of teeth even. Oh, yeah. You're not just tooth like you're you're good quality teeth. So if he has like a cavity and a tooth, you're like, here's a quarter. Yeah. Well, luckily that hasn't happened. Right. Like, but I do say it a lot like, hey, your teeth are starting to fall out. You need to make sure that you're taking very good care of them. So when the tooth fairy sees it, she's impressed. It's like a used car. Yeah. <laughs> it's like taking more time. Or or like the other night we got home kind of late and he had fallen asleep and I had him brush his teeth and he's like, oh. I didn't floss yet. And I'm like, you're right. You need to go floss. So like he's really into dental hygiene because of it. So like, okay, cool. But it does seem a little weird, right? Like <laughs> it seems weird. He's trying. He wants to make sure that he can get top dollar for his used teeth. Oh, yeah. He needs new action figures. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my gosh. Amazing. But I, I like that he is like, yeah, no, I got to keep. I have to keep my tooth's resale value up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The things we do as parents. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So now that we've talked about something like a ritual, I guess, that everyone seems to do. Now we're going to talk about some creepy origins of kids' stories and then nursery rhymes, because it seems like all of them start out pretty bad. They're all pretty fucking scary. So we're going to talk about the original story of Sleeping Beauty. Love this. And I had no idea about this. So it was very, very dark. And originally it was called The Sun, Moon, and Talia by an Italian poet named John Battista Basile. And it was published in 1634 in his Pantamarone collection. And this collection also included the first known versions of Cinderella, which was also horrific, and Rapunzel, which had a very different ending. And I'm sure a lot of people have seen this, but the Brothers Grimm version also came out later after this, and it was called Little Briar Rose. And it's a little closer to the Disney version that we know now. Still pretty dark, though. Yeah, but closer than what I'm about to tell you about. Yeah. So let's dive into the original story. It starts out pretty similar. There's a few differences, but pretty similar. So Aurora was actually named Talia in this version, and she was born to a powerful ruler. It didn't necessarily say king. It said ruler. This is important later. It's very important later. Yes. So there was a prophecy that Talia would meet her death by a flax splinter. And similar to the Disney version, instead of talking to the kid about it and telling her to avoid that certain thing, he forbade it from entering his home. So the ruler ordered that no flax come into his home under any circumstance, right? Uh, And from what I understand, they would like make items with it and then make clothing with it. So he was like, flax items, no go. Yeah. So when she gets older, she sees an old woman and she's spinning flax on a spindle. And because she had never seen it before, she was super curious about it. And I will say this story obviously was in Italian, right? So I've seen a few different translations of it and each translation is just a tad different. So I've tried to pull 
the few translations that I've seen and put it together. So if something's a little different, it could be the translation here. But anyway, so she's curious about what she's spinning on the spinning wheel. And she convinces the woman to allow her to try and stretch the flax. And as she's doing so, she gets a flax splinter under her fingernail. And it looks like she essentially just dies. Dramatic. And here's one of the parts where I don't know if it was the translation or if this is actually part of it, but I kind of laughed. It said the old woman was scared and ran away. She's probably still running to this day. She's a runner. She's a track star. (laughs) So instead of burying her, she's dressed up and is left in one of the ruler's palaces in the woods, as one does. Mm -hmm. And she's put on a velvet throne. And then the palace is closed up and abandoned. Now, a little while later, a king, not a ruler... (laughs) stumbles upon this palace while he's on a hunting trip. And his falcon flies inside, so he goes inside to get it. And so, well, he first knocks and tries to go in, but no one answers, obviously, because it's abandoned. So he climbs in through a window, and it's the same window that the falcon flew into. And here's where it gets a little fucked. (laughs) A little. Right? Just a little. Just, like, uh, horrifically fucked, honestly. So he wanders the palace, I'm assuming in search of his falcon, right? And he finds Talia. And he tries to wake her up, and he can't, right? From what he can see, I'm assuming comatose. So then he decides to move her to a couch or bed, and sometimes, like, different versions, different translations. And then he rapes her and leaves. What the hell? Fuck off, my guy. Not my guy, right? Like, Fuck off. First off, like you go into an abandoned palace and you see a comatose woman and your thought is, I'm gonna do what I want. But then also like you leave that person there because you don't know. So this rape impregnates Talia and she has twins, one boy and one girl who were cared for by fairies. And that makes me think of Sleeping Beauty, right? Because we have like flora and fauna and Meriwether. Meriwether. Yeah. And I want to say there's only two fairies in this one. One for each one. Great. Fairly odd parents. So one of the baby ends up sucking on Talia's finger. And when when it does, it sucks the splinter out and it wakes her up. And then she finally meets her babies for the first time. And she names them Sun and Moon because their origin was just as mysterious to her as the origin of the sun and the moon. That's so sad. And so from what I understand, she woke up and she had the two kids, saw that there were foods around, but she didn't ever see the fairy. So she didn't really know who was caring for her children or like how she was alive or anything like that. She was just like, okay. Yeah, like she saw, I want to say it was like a table with like food and drinks and everything on it. So clearly like someone had been there. Yeah. So yeah, she's awake. She has children now and she's just rolling with it, right? So the king remembers that, oh, yeah, that woman in the forest and decides that it would be cool to come visit her again. Fuck off. Right. Fuck off, king. But this time, though, when he goes to the palace, she's awake and she has twins. Imagine look on his fucking face. Right. And so he explains what he did. And here, oh, this part. So she decides that she loves him and he loves her. Disgusting. Blink, 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 written by a man. Blink, blink, blink. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. But he already has a wife. And so he stays for a little while and then goes back to his wife. And it seems like he made visits frequently to her. And over time, his wife starts to get suspicious because, you know, he was gone all the time on his hunting trips. And then he started saying Talia and the children's names in his sleep. So here's my thing. Talia. Okay. That's a name. But if he's saying like moon and sun, that's not that suspicious, (laughs) right? Because those are things. Mm -hmm. So then the queen threatens him and finally gets him 
to tell her what's going on. Threatening is the best way for honesty in one's marriage, obviously. Yeah. So once she finds out about Talia and the kids, she sends for someone to go get the twins. And her plan was to give the kids to the cook so that the cook could kill them and feed them to the king. So the person that she gets to retrieve the kids, I want to say they call it their secretary. And they go and they tell Talia, oh, the king has sent for his children. So Talia's like, oh, okay, and allows them to go. So willingly. And then that evening while eating, the queen tells the king, you're eating your own. This feels like a very drastic reaction to adultery, right? Like maybe don't kill children and cannibalize them, right? Yeah, it's very weird. And just thinking of today's Sleeping Beauty, it's already kind of a weird story anyways, but like the roots come from this. My gosh. Yeah. So then after this, the queen sends for Talia. And the same thing, like the king has requested your presence. So she's like, okay, and goes along. And the queen confronts Talia and starts to prepare a fire in the courtyard to burn her. And Talia tries to explain what had happened and essentially that she was taken advantage of while she was asleep. The queen did not give a fuck. And so Talia does what anyone would do in this situation. She tries to buy time by asking if she can strip before she's burned. And so the queen's like, sure, I want your clothes anyway. So... Then Talia slowly strips and then starts screaming. So the king finally comes to save her and then demands the children be brought to them. And his wife laughs. And I imagine she's like, yeah. And then says something like, you've eaten them. And then he gets mad, right? Like super mad. So he has his wife and his secretary burned instead. So the king also goes to have the cook killed. But the cook's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I did not kill the kids. Because, like, the fuck, right? Mm -hmm. And he hid them from the queen. So he was spared and rewarded. Good. And then the king and Talia live happily ever after. And the last translated line of the story is, Lucky people, so tis said, are blessed by fortune, Williston bed. What the fuck? Lucky people are raped? I don't know. Like, I was trying to find the moral of the story, and I could not find one that made sense to me. I mean, that to me, that sounds like... You were raped while you were sleeping, but it all ended up great. Yeah, then you had a like great fortune? Like, what? It doesn't feel like great fortune. And even like, she's like, you know, now that I think about it, I didn't really want this. He did this, right? Like, she's like about to get like burned. And she's like, you know, just so you know, I was asleep. <laughs> right? I was in this weird death sleep. I don't know why, but that happened. Yeah, I had a fucking killer splinter. <laughs> so weird. But yeah, just like seeing the evolution of now today's right like every kid knows sleeping beauty everyone knows sleeping beauty's castle like it's yeah it's everywhere it's disneyland right when you think of disneyland you're like sleeping beauty's castle and that's where it came from and also it's interesting that like we have a very clear portrait of who maleficent is in sleeping beauty and like the disney version Mm -hmm. but in this it's kind of hard to find but it's suggested and i've seen at least one source that says like perhaps the queen's name was maleficent Yeah, which, I mean, yeah, she was the bad guy, right? So, yeah, interesting. And I love Maleficent in today's versions. Yeah, she's green and purple. Of course you do. Yes, I love her. So now let's dive into some nursery rhymes because like everyone always thinks of Ring Around the Rosies, right? Everyone knows that that one has kind of a dark backstory. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize a lot of them did. I knew that one, but not others. So the first one is one that's not super popular anymore, but I've heard of it. And that's Mary Mary Quite Contrary. And just as a refresher, if you haven't heard it in a while, it's Mary Mary Quite Contrary. How does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row. 
So what do you, like when you hear that, does it sound horrific in any way? I think, oh, a garden, right? Girl, her garden, things growing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think I've ever thought about it. But I mean, in the context of thinking about it today, I'm obviously a little bit suspect. (laughs) So what it might be about is Mary the First or Bloody Mary, who was the daughter of Henry VIII and his wife, Catherine of Aragon. Oh, also, when we talk about Bloody Mary, we have a full Bloody Mary episode. That's definitely worth listening to. That we do. I'm going to try to sum it up because there's a lot going on here. But essentially, Bloody Mary's dad, Henry, wanted to marry Anne Boleyn. And because the Catholic Church was like, no, you can't get a divorce. He was pretty upset. And I saw in some cases he wanted a divorce, too, because Catherine had failed to produce a son and a male heir to the throne. So he had a lot of uh, reasons going around why he didn't want to be married to her anymore. So he also told the Pope that the marriage was against God's will because Catherine had been briefly married to Henry's late brother, Arthur. And again, there's so much more to this, but just to sum it up for you. So to get back to the nursery rhyme, he was not pleased with the decision, so he isolated himself from the Catholic Church. And to sum it up, he then appointed Protestants so that he could get the divorce that he wanted. And this ended up dividing England between Catholics and Protestants. When it was time for Mary's reign, she wanted to convert England back to Catholicism. And she was a devout Catholic and took the throne after her half-brother Edward VI died. And so because she wanted to bring England back to Catholicism, this was contrary to England's wishes because most of England was happy being Protestants. And so she reigned from 1553 to 1558, and many Protestants were executed during her reign. And the garden growing might be a reference to the graveyards that were increasing in size during her reign. Yikes. Right? And then I didn't know this either. Silver bells and cockle shells are torture devices at the time. Oh. So silver bells were thumb screws, and they crushed the thumbs between hard surfaces when the screw was tightened. Oh, God. And then cockle shells, oh gosh, this one's worse. Cockle shells were instruments of torture that were attached to the genitals. I don't want shells anywhere near my genitals. Yeah. So yeah, those were torture devices, not actually a garden with things growing. And then pretty maids all in a row are probably the hundreds of women that were burnt at the stake for being Protestants. And some people also say that the pretty maids might actually be referring to the maiden, aka the original guillotine. Oh, yeah. So now when you read the poem, you're like, oh, so Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow with silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row? So like her growing graveyard. And that's how she's killing them. Some gorgeous, though, like imagery, if you will. You know what I mean? Like I would have never guessed. Never guessed. No, I also wouldn't have ever guessed any of that. So also just to add to Bloody Mary, it's also thought that three blind mice might be about her reign. And so three blind mice goes, three blind mice, three blind mice, see how they run, see how they run. They all ran after the farmer's wife who cut off their tails with a carving knife. Did you ever see such a sight in your life as three blind mice? And it was first published in October of 1609 in London, but it became popular, woof, over 200 years later in 1842. And some people think that their three blind mice are the three Protestant bishops that conspired to overthrow Mary. And we also talked a lot about this in our Bloody Mary episode too. But they became known as the Oxford Martyrs and they were Thomas Cranmer, 
Nicholas Radley and Hugh Latimer, and they failed to overthrow her and then were burned at the stake for treason and heresy. And some also think that they may have been blinded or dismembered as well, but we couldn't find any reputable sources that confirmed that particular part. But that would certainly suggest, you know, the, the imagery certainly suggests that, right? Oh, yeah. That, I mean, what is a tail like? If you had to pick a thing on a mouse that was like a tail on a man, what would you think? Um, Not a tail. Yeah, yeah. And it would be one of the worst things you could cut off. So, yikes. Right? It's pretty dark. Yeah. And our last nursery rhyme that we want to ruin for you is Jack and Jill. So since we were talking about guillotines, Jack and Jill might actually have a reference to one as well. Love a good guillotine. Love a good guillotine. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown and Jill came tumbling after. That's the original. There is a little bit more that's been added. But Jack and Jill sometimes is referred to as Francis Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. And they were convicted of treason during the French Revolution. Jack, a.k.a. Louis XVI, lost his crown, meaning his throne or his head. And then Marie Antoinette was executed shortly after. So Jill came tumbling after, meaning her head came tumbling after down the hill. Ugh, awful. There are some theories, though, that say that the rhyme might be older than the French Revolution and that it just, like, fit. So there are some other theories of where this could have come from. Another one is that it was an old Norse myth where two children are kidnapped while collecting water from a well. And it's believed that the story was told to kids so that they wouldn't go out alone after dark. Yeah. And another theory, also not such a great one, is about a small town in Somerset called Kilsmerden. And there's an actual hill and it's called Jack and Jill Hill. And so some of the people who live around there think that that's actually the inspiration for their rhyme. And in this version of it, Jack and Jill were secret lovers. And some say they were married. So Jill got pregnant and she and Jack were pretty excited. So then Jack goes up the hill for water and then he's killed by a dislodged boulder. Then Jill dies of a broken heart shortly after giving birth. The town then bands together to raise their son. And the surname Jill's son, like Jill's son is actually still common in the area and that hill has six stone markers that each have a verse from the poem and at the top of the hill there's a well and a plaque dedicated to the two along with their tombstones so like to me that feels like the origin right yeah like that seems fair but it's like you never know sometimes a nursery rhyme is simply just a nursery rhyme it doesn't have to have like a big fancy story attached to it yeah but the pictures of this little area are very cute yeah and a lot of people have traveled there just to see the plaques and everything. I mean, fair. Yeah, but it looked really pretty. So yeah, that's that's all the things we tell our kids and the origins of where they came from. If you have one that you know of that has a really dark origin, let us know. We'd be happy to share it. Also, uh, Amanda, <laughs> did you have any like randomly fucked up shit that your parents told you? Any like weird, you know, like I'm trying to think. One of my friends told her children that she had... <laughs> She had a daughter before them who misbehaved and she ate her. <laughs> I just remembered that. And like she had a name for her and when they were misbehaving, she'd be like, do you want to end up like her? And would like say the name. And like they were like, no. And then they cleaned her. <laughs> Horrible. So funny. <laughs> Nothing like that, luckily. Uh Nothing like that. No. Like, my mom was really into hauntings. Surprise, surprise. Okay, and like, yeah. would tell us about ghosts Shock. and ghost stories. And uh, whenever we moved somewhere, because we moved a lot, 
she'd be like, oh, yeah, it's just a little haunted, but it's okay. Like, and then she tells, oh, I saw this. I saw this, which is like, you you don't tell your kids that because then they never sleep again. Unless you're your mom and she's raising a spooky child. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess it ended up okay, but I, I did miss a lot of sleep. You also still miss a lot of sleep. Fair. Fair. So were you told anything weird then, Lindsay? Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think so. Was Jack the Ripper going to come kill you if you didn't do something? Okay, well, no, two things. The first is that, like, I was the one inventing spooky stories. Like, my imaginary friend's brothers were Dracula and Jack the Ripper. My dad also wrote a comic book about the two of them. So there was a reason for the season. But my brother, my eldest brother, when he was little, this is a story that I've been told. He says that this isn't true. <laughs> but I also wouldn't admit that if this is true, but I still think it's funny. So he was little and he heard my dad say something like, watch out for that gutter, you know, because it was he was like about to fall into it. And he was like, what's a gutter? And he's like, well, like, they're like three or four feet deep. They can be like eight feet long. Like if you fall in, he's like, if you like go into it, like you'll get hurt. Like I'm sure people have died if they've fallen into them, right? Oh, gosh. And so he in his head made this into a monster. <laughs> and so there was gutters that were like a monstrous thing. I love that, though. That would be a, like a cool little book. Yeah. The father or the mother telling them about the scary thing and then them creating this monster in their head and then finding out at the end it's literally a, a gutter. Yeah, like, I feel like all of the things that I have from my own childhood are more like things that I've said that were fucking weird. Like, we had a cat named Fluffy and I colored his ear in with highlighter and I knew I was going to get yelled. I mean, I was really little, but I knew my mom was going to yell at me. And so they were like, did you color his ear in with a highlighter? And it was like highlighter yellow. Like, obviously, yes. He was an all-white kitten, by the way. So <laughs> it was very attractive to me as an artistic little child. I was like, he has a canvas. He was not a canvas. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I colored just his ear in, just a part of it. And my mom was like, did you, did you color his ear in? And I was like, no, he dipped his head in Mountain Dew. We didn't really keep Mountain Dew in the house. <laughs> and she was like... Oh, I'm talking like easily 20 years later. I'm like, hey, you guys like knew that I colored his ear in, right? Like you knew that. And they were like, what? And I'm like, where would I have gotten Mountain Dew? Where how would the cat have dipped his head in it? And they were like, huh, no, we didn't realize you were lying. Wow. Professional. Professional liar as a child or really gullible parents. <laughs> This was a hoot. This was a fun one. I feel like our last episode was an interesting and important case to discuss, but very sad and very heavy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we go in the complete opposite direction when we've done one because, like, it can be a bit much to do two weeks in a row. That's true. That's or, true. Or, like, when we were like, we're going to do all of Texas Killing Field in, like, a mammoth episode in the beginning. And then, like, we literally started our podcast, like, months later because we were like, we're burnt out before we began. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one was kind of fun. But every time I'm reading it, because I also read a little bit about Cinderella and Rapunzel. And I'm like, this is ruining all the childhood kids movies that I watched. I was like, if they say anything about 101 Dalmatians or something like that, or Oliver and Company. 101 Dalmatians is already terrible. It's already a woman trying to make coats out of puppies. It is. It is. But she doesn't succeed. Okay. But watch, she probably did succeed, right? Like it's based off this true person that killed all the puppies. Who could know? It was very stressful reading these. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very fair, very fair. 
But yeah, if you know any tales that you found the origin of and you're like, oh my gosh, please share it with us. If you are enjoying the show and you haven't yet left us a review on either iTunes or Facebook and you have a few minutes, please leave us a review. And if you do, screenshot your review and email it to us and we'd be happy to send you a sticker in the mail. And then also, if you're really loving the show and you want to join our Patreon, we have a lot of fun perks starting at a dollar. And our next Patreon game night is coming up on July 15th. Very excited. Very excited. They've been a fun time. They have. Yeah. Those are fun nights. We're doing a a little bit fewer of them during the summer just because scheduling is very difficult. But they're a fun time. Yeah. Also, just as a note, we won't have episodes for the next two weeks. So we'll see you with a new episode on July 15th. And with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. Daddy Santa.